Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I am so excited that I got a knock on my door from Dr. Charles McMillan, who is a veterinarian opening a black-owned vet practice in Atlanta. That's because he's black. But more interestingly is the topic of diversity, which is sort of my 2023 theme for the show. What have we all been missing? What haven't we understood about a lack of diversity or a lack of inclusion for doctors of color or vet techs of color, students of color in the veterinary field. So Dr. McMillan, welcome to the show and also congratulations on opening, being the owner and medical director of Good Vets West Buckhead in Atlanta, where you are going to even have more veterinary clinics that are owned by you and have you as the figurehead. So welcome to the show and congratulations on, I think, turning a corner in the veterinary field. I think you, you're you one of the forerunners in doing that. Thank you for having me, Tracy. No, I'm very excited to kind of talk today about a myriad of things, um, diversity and inclusion, of course, um, Good Vets, um, and then specifically what I plan on doing with the Good Vets Atlanta brand um, in those hospital groups. So I'm very excited, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I, I don't know too much about Atlanta other than it's a very hip and growing and um, dynamic city, and it's about half black. So having a black-owned veterinary practice, I imagine, is very comfortable for you and for your clients. And you, you're, you've opened this with Good Vets, which is a company with a lot of funding from, from venture capital that I wasn't familiar with, but I love the idea of it, that they build your clinics from scratch and they make you, the veterinarian, a co-owner. And that's kind of the opposite, the flip side of where veterinary care was going which was, I think, leaving a lot of vets feeling out in the cold and burned out and without autonomy, where companies were coming in and buying up vet clinics and then telling veterinarians how to practice or what not to do. So Good Vets in and of itself is very a very new idea compared to what had been happening in the veterinary field. Did you practice originally in a more traditional veterinary clinic where you were basically an employee or maybe even an owner? 
Yes, yeah, so I, I agree uh, with some of the points that you made earlier. Um, yes, I've been an associate um, at a myriad of different stops along the way um, since 2012 is when I graduated. Um, shortly thereafter, I did um, an internship and then began practicing in really emergency, um, urgent care, um, did relief medicine and also primarily general medicine, mm-hmm. um, but always um, as an associate. So this kind of new endeavor for me is a new one for me. Um, it wasn't for a lack of trying. So I know that I had some leadership aspirations before, um, never really put my foot kind of down to aggressively pursue those. Mm-hmm. Um, I had always been content on being an associate. And for me, you know, being the only veterinarian and only doctor in my family, you know, that was a huge accomplishment. That's but right. But I think it was, you know, recently um, me and my wife were, were talking several years ago and it became uh, abundantly clear to me that um, I needed to be a little more forward facing, a little more forward leaning. And so um, I kind of stepped up my social media digital footprint. And um, from that, a lot of opportunities came. Um, and so, yeah, the Good Vets opportunity kind of fell in my lap. That was a few other opportunities around the same time. And um, I thought that would be a better way for me to kind of transition to see how I can actually affect change and what I could do differently um, to kind of what you spoke to, an industry that has been fledgling, an industry that you know, has been seeing a, a maldistribution of kind of um, work. So yes, speak. yes. Um, a maldistribution in terms of, of people, non-white people, let's say, but I guess also a maldistribution of prestige, power, and money. Veterinarians have always, from what I've watched in the last 20 years in the industry, but probably even from childhood when everyone who loved pets said they want to be a vet and, you know, 2% of you guys actually went on to do it or half of a percent. But what I've seen is that veterinarians love animals, love taking care of them, and have always taken this kind of, oh, I'm just happy to have the job kind of attitude. And they would go to work in a clinic and be low man on the totem pole, no matter what their color. And maybe one day hope that when the vet who owned the clinic retired that they might become a co-owner. Meanwhile, big corporations were coming in and buying up the clinics and taking away that potential to be an entrepreneur and to, as you said, put your foot down more. It seems to me that GoodVets has given you a chance, especially in a city that is half black, to say, I'm here for you. I'm here for the community that looks like me, that will feel comfortable in a clinic where they're not looked at as other. Do you think that's a a big part of that sea change? So I think, yeah, you touched on several things. Um, The last point you made, yeah, there's definitely um, benefits to looking um, like the community, looking like the pet population or, you know, the pet parents yep. looking like your community, sound like your community, um, and it's kind of a dimension of access to care. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I always talk about what ways can we do to expand that access to care. And one of them is having people who, you know, look and sound like you, That's you right. know, to have trusted uh, advocates, people who you believe in that can kind of speak on your behalf and understand kind of where you come from and and how things are not necessarily better or worse, but they're different. And so that definitely helps the expansion of access to care. Um, One of the points that you mentioned before is kind of 
about prestige and kind of veterinarians, you know, their feeling of being kind of low on the totem pole. I actually think that's one of the things that has caused a lot of veterinarians to kind of question um, either um, leaving the profession, yes. trying to go into a different avenue in the profession, and also has blunted kind of or arrested that pipeline of, of new people who want to be veterinarians. And so, you know, I think we've been hyper-stigmatized as a group to, you know, passion first. We love animals. Yes. We, we would do this job for free. Um, and so that takes a toll. You know, we go through vet school, right? We have student debt, um, a disproportionate burden on, on us. Um, we need to pay those debts. We love what we do, right? We're passionate about what we do. Um, but that kind of understanding, that social standing, that kind of misconnection that you don't see very much in kind of the other top um, professions, engineering, architects, human physicians, you know, yes. they get, you know, they have a very high social standing. And so that kind of respect and thing hasn't necessarily been transferred over um, to us as a whole. You know, interrupting that arc that you mentioned of conglomerates kind of buying out practices and now the associate who's been there for several years not getting their chance to actually own, um, that's the way that the veterinary industry was going. But yep. I think a few companies have kind of interrupted that arc and yes. put power back into the veterinarian. Um, and for me, I was very excited to kind of join on with Good Vets in this endeavor um, because, as I like to tell people, we were alive. Um, once we were given, you know, given this opportunity. So yeah. some people may kind of quibble on the outside, which opportunity is better, but I think putting the power back into veterinarians' hands to try to nurture that kind of environment that has been led astray for a while has, has been very important. I think it's really important for the recipients of veterinary care too, because if the vet that is taking care of you and your pet is feeling stressed, burned out, even suicidal. I mean, not one more vet is a, is was a fledgling organization just a few years ago and now has a full-time executive director who's been on this show. Not one more vet needs to die or burn out or have a, a mental illness, PTSD, all these things that are kind of to the person who is receiving veterinary care, kind of like a big question mark in a cartoon balloon above your head. Hey, what's the problem? You love animals. I'm bringing my animal to you. Yes, I know you have to do euthanasia, but that can't be the only problem. Seems to me part of the problem has been this this lack of respect from society. And that comes in the end of the day from whose name is above the door or whose name is, you know, on a brass plaque at the door, and who is reaping the benefits from years of training and then continuing training and years in the field and hours in the clinic or at the exam table. I think that what Good Vets is doing, when I first heard your story, I thought, this is really cool. Here's a black man in a black city, or a, at least a half black city, who's whose new clinic is in a location where the community is going to feel that it's accessible, the first, the first exam is free, it's a welcoming environment, but there's more to it than that. There's really an upside to it, and even though there's a lack of or not enough vets in, in the profession or in, the, in America, maybe it's because there's kind of been an odd glass ceiling until now. I think that a business model like you have, 
that GoodVets is creating and even Heart Plus Paw and maybe some others are creating. It's a chance for someone with high aspirations, not just to do good and to take care of animals, but to create a, you know, a really good economic base for themselves and for their family and for their children. I think it's important. This part is just as important, and it's okay to talk about it. We don't just have to say, oh, vets wear their heart on their sleeve. They're just in it for the animals. You should also reap the benefits of how hard you work to become who you are. I'm sure that must be part Absolutely. of the appeal to you. Yeah, that was definitely part of the decision-making process. And so when you mentioned about compassion fatigue, um, a lot of veterinarians, you know, making this mass exit out of the profession, feeling burnt out. Yes. Um, one of the things that was appealing to me is being able to kind of control, you know, the healthy workplace ecosystem, yes. kind of build it from the ground up. And so what I like to tell people whenever I'm giving lectures is it's not about an established culture. You know, I want to bring people in to add to a culture. Nice. And so build that culture from the top down. And one of the things that I liked that was appealing to partnering with GoodVets is I, I got that autonomy. So I got that ability to say, you know, everything from the design of the building, from where the building is going to be located, um, to how it looks, how it smells, hiring employees, so be able to kind of be a steward or a safeguard over the actual workplace ecosystem. And so, you know, when you have veterinarians who ha are more invested, who have more control, more autonomy, then we are on the ground and we can better um, be, you know, best practices to how we can scale off some of these deleterious consequences, you know, that the profession has seen in the past with regards to kind of uh, workplace deterioration. And yes. so for me, you know, it was very, you know, I was very happy to bring these hospitals to Atlanta because I want to grow with the community. I want to break down any of those barriers of access to care that I can. And that comes with, you know, being engaged in a community, practicing good quality medicine, being transparent, giving them the education so they know, you know, some people may not know what is proper care, what That's is right. proper uh, mm -hmm. care for their companion animals. And so I'm here to try to broaden that avenue, tear down any walls that are preventing them from actually getting the care for their pets that, that is needed. And part of that is having a welcoming environment. So That's I'm right. very big on aggressively hiring the best. Um, and so a lot of people think that the best in hiring for a diverse and inclusive workplace, that they're mutually, um, you know, mutually incompatible or mutually, you know, I want to hire the best. Um, and then when I have the best applicants in front of me, I look at who and what are going to bring me closer to the diversity goals that I have. Who do I think is going to be acceptable for the community that these practices are in? Um, and then that's kind of how I build my team. And so I'm very happy to kind of grow with the community. Um, we are in a stage now where we are imprinting on our community, doing a lot of outreach, and they are imprinting on us. Because, you know, even though I'm black, even though, you know, good vets is we're still kind of in the neonatal stages of of ramp up, right. you know, they want to know who good vets is. But more importantly, the, the model of good vets is that we're locally owned. So they want to know who I am, what I stand yes. for, what are my values. Um, and that's what we're trying to do now. We're trying to get, you know, me out front into the community, let them know, hey, this is a space for you, you know, that you are going to get all the care that you need, the education that you need. Um, we're going to provide that quality care for you, incremental care, gold standard care. Um, and I'm, my job is to hire paraprofessionals and other veterinarians that kind of share in my vision to provide that top-notch quality care and educating the community at the same time. Well, you're obviously extremely eloquent at describing that, which 
is really important that everybody understands what you're saying and that it comes from the heart, but it's also very well-spoken and well-thought-out. I, I was talking to a number of people about the issue of diversity in the veterinary field and how uncomfortable it was for one particular young woman, Nicole Bruno, who started Blend because she chose not to go to a historically black university, Tuskegee, and went instead to Cornell, but that her younger sister did choose to go to Tuskegee. And I'm wondering if if a historically black university like Tuskegee College of Medicine, which veterinary medicine, which is a very impressive place, whether that's some place that would be a fantastic pool for you in Atlanta to draw from, because maybe they don't want to go work in Westchester and be the only black face in a practice. Maybe that feels uncomfortable, or Indiana, or other places where everybody's white. Maybe that makes the the the, the new hire feel not included and uncomfortable, not just the, the potential customers, right? I agree. So for me, you know, when I distill kind of this topic down, it's, you know, the veterinary field in and of itself is very small, very concentrated. But within that field, you know, you have less than 2% that are black veterinarians. And so most people who are veterinarians who are, are black, we've almost been habituated to that fact. You know, it's yes. always been that way. Mm-hmm. And so it's not to me about hiring associates that are black or from other marginalized populations, but rather hiring people that are black and from marginalized populations into leadership. Nice. Because that signals to um, kind of these underserved populations that, you know, there is career mobility beyond just an associate. Um, and also there's someone in a high place that hears you, looks like you, talks like you, nice. can relate to you, um, who can actually have your back. And so yeah. for me, it's never an issue. You know, I'm aggressively hiring the best regardless of, of, of race or gender. But I'm also wanting to put, you know, people in positions of power, hospital managers, um, junior partners to run their own hospitals. Because to me, you know, that's where there's been friction. Good point. And you talk about, you know, it being uncomfortable. The topic is always uncomfortable, but, you know, we have to talk about it. Um, And, you know, people usually get uncomfortable. so, So they know what ought to occur. But when you actually point out what is occurring, people begin to sort themselves out into kind of where, you know, what privilege they may have and what side of this kind of coin that they fall on. Mm -hmm. And then when that occurs, then people begin to kind of be defensive and recoil. Um, It's hard to broach the subject because it's a very, you know, our profession is a very hyper um, homogenous one. And it's always been that way. And so a lot of people may say, well, you know, it's always been the case. And so if there's a problem, I don't see one. <laughs> right, <laughs> and right. A lot of times, you know, when I was doing an interview not too long ago, when you see the statistics, um, you can fall into the pitfall of saying, okay, where well, there's less than 2% that are black. So maybe there's a lack of um, interest, or maybe there's a lack of aptitude. And so we fall into those traps. And it's called, um, uh, uh, it's, it's, Failure, it's affirming the consequent, right? It's the fallacy of affirming the consequent. Mm -hmm. So you look at the data and say there must be other reasons other than systemic causes, systemic pressures that are are making these populations underrepresented. And so, you know, I wanted to caution people to to not look at the number and attribute it to those those things of lack of aptitude or lack of desire, lack of interest, because we know that no matter where you come from, veterinary medicine is, is consistently ranked one of the highest desired professions for adolescents. 
I, I think that's really, really well put. And with just a few seconds left, I want to say to those people of color who own pets, it it isn't there. There's also a misconception and a racial profiling that those people, be they Hispanic, that I think you're now supposed to say Latinx, I'm not sure, or black, African-American, that they just don't care as much. They don't want to spay neuter. They don't want to feed correctly. Whatever these perceptions are, is that they didn't have access, as you said, to the information, to the support, to someone having their best interests at heart and helping them be the best pet owner they can be. So I think what you're doing in Atlanta is fantastic. And I think what Good Vets is doing is amazing. And, and I hope it spreads across America. And I hope that we will have another conversation in the near future. And you can talk about what it's like to own three vet clinics in Atlanta. I think what you're doing is great, Dr. Charles McMillan. I salute you and all the people that you will have underneath you, above you, and beside you in doing this really good work. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support all of these companies because they stand behind my mission, which is to bring you delightfully informative Pet Talk Radio. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like no-hide chews and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Weimaraner Maisie will eat. I'm very grateful also to Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two extraordinary women, Allison and Hannah, who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2 and will listen to other episodes sometime soon.